For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Tonight's chant will be the Metta Sutta, and we will begin before that with the repentance verse chanted three times. So I'll go ahead and share my screen. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Metta Sutta This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise but not puffed up and let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born, May all beings be happy. Even as a mother, at the risk of her life, watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down, During all one's waking hours, let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, freed from sense appetites. One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to... 
our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha. Our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills, and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, Wisdom beyond wisdom, Maha Prajna Paramita. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Um, I think most of you know Sarah Lytle, but for the few of you who don't, just briefly, I'll introduce her. Sarah is a member of our Ancient Dragons End Gate Board. She was formerly a University of Chicago Divinity School intern for Ancient Dragon and uh, became a very skilled doan during that time and works now as full-time as a chaplain. And I'm very glad to have you here uh, tonight, Sarah. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, it's very good to be here. Um, can you all hear me okay? Our internet has been off, so let me know if it acts up. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see, Alex, I loved having your cat in the screen. And just, I feel so, um, it's so lovely that so many other beings get to join uh, the Zendo with Zoom. It's, it's a really lovely little benefit. Uh, so, um, this talk um, is about attention and intention and paying attention with intention. Um, I've been kind of circumambulating around attention for a while. Um, And when I, when Tygen asked me what to title this talk, one thought was pay attention. Um, but that felt, uh, it reminded me of being in school and being a kid and like wanting to look somewhere else and having to bring my attention somewhere I didn't want it to be. Um, and then I was, and then I also was like, oh, and it pay money. That's bad. But, um, I think there is an important, something important in the phrase, pay attention, in that we have agency to direct our attention uh, to things, to places where we want it to be. And also it is limited. It's a limited resource. I don't know why this 
occurred to me um, recently, why I didn't think of it before, but it's not something that we have an infinite capacity for. Which, when I realized that, I, I felt a little disappointed. Um, but that's, that's okay, because uh, as I thought about it more and worked with it more, um, I you know, realized that that limitedness, that limitation, um, makes it very precious. And so another, another reason I think that this uh, idea, theme of attention has come up for me is I've been trying to notice where I put my attention. Where do I want to spend it? If it is a limited resource, where do I want it to go? How does it feel when I spend it on one thing and not the other? And this uh, first came, kind of, I began to notice this around my relationship with social media, which I think is uh, a strange beast um, that this talk will not be about. But I do think, you know, with the, the pandemic and it's been a source of connection for a lot of people, um, but it is also engineered to take away our attention and our time. And the other thing is, as uh, I remembered about, uh, well, maybe two years ago, a year ago, I was at a conference and there was a social scientist who was piloting this study um, about gratitude. And the intervention was um, having people name three things that they were grateful for each day. And they were studying how this impacted people's well-being. And as he was describing some of the science behind it, the ideas behind it, he brought up the point that our, our brains, our minds, our mind bodies are, are wired to pay attention to negative stimuli um, because that is what has kept us safe over time. So we actually do have to make an effort to notice positive stimuli, so to speak. Or there are certain... Um, and I also think about this with the, the repentance verse, our ancient twisted karma. There are lots of patterns and habits that go into the way that we pay attention and to where it goes. And then the other thing that has been bringing my uh, attention toward this subject is I began to be able to work from home starting at um, starting at the beginning of the year and, you know, everything was shut down. And as we kind of with the more retreat like conditions of the pandemic and also the, the difficulty, the, um, the suffering, all of that really for me became an opportunity to practice um, and not at all to discount the many losses and sufferings that have occurred um, during this time. But I think for me, I've, I've grown and, and learned a lot during this period of, of less. And as things open up again, as I'm experienced, as there are, you know, things to go to people to see, I'm trying to translate what I have 
learned that I want to pay attention to into this world of a lot more, less of a retreat-like space. And in some ways, I think of this as a reminder that I have chosen, at least thus far, the, the householding path of the Dharma, which is that I have not chosen to be a monastic and um, live in a monastery. And along with that comes certain kinds of commitments and projects and entanglements. So as grateful as I've been for all for the extra time to really train in my practice, um, it kind of feels like now is really where the work is, is beginning as I'm taking it off the cushion, so to speak, which is, of course, what Zazen is all about. Um, but it is, can be easy to forget that. And I also feel very grateful for the way that this time of training has helped me get used to the way, get accustomed again to the space of practice, kind of become familiar with um, the, the peace of, of practice sometimes, sometimes the tumult, but this way of, of paying attention, which is really how practice has been showing up for me lately. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what kind of attention um, we're talking about here. Because um, it's not just, just any kind of attention, I think. It has certain qualities. And then some different ways that attention shows up in my life. And then maybe we can open up and uh, talk together about, about attention and how this resonates or doesn't resonate with you in your practice. So what, what kind of attention are we talking about? Um, and this is also, I think, something that's become important to me too as I take it out into my, into my life. Is my attention um, critical, harsh, judgmental? Or is it open and playful, reflective? And my mom, um, when I was home a bit ago, was very hot. Uh, she lives in California. And I had picked some lemons from this Meyer lemon tree. And I made us this nice lemonade. And uh, it was in this big glass with... Um, crushed ice, which is my favorite kind of ice. And um, as I sat down to drink from it, I spilled it all over. And, um, and her reaction, she said, isn't it fun when things like that happen? So unexpected. And I was, my mouth kind of fell open um, just because I was so surprised that 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 was her, her response to the situation. Um, and as she, as she, we mopped it up together and it was fine. I went and made some more lemonade and it was not a big deal. But being open to that surprise and viewing it as a surprise. And so uh, my, the mindfulness kind of, the idea of mindfulness, uh, I think it's helpful here too when we talk about attention. Um, as I've worked more in, in chaplaincy and in um, 
caregiving, uh, I've started to kind of translate some of my practice into mindfulness interventions um, because there are some ways that that can be helpful for people. And um, John Kabat-Zinn, who was one of the the mindfulness, uh, early, early mindfulness translators of mindfulness into medicine, um, described it fairly simply as paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Staying, staying open to it all. Another way I've come to understand um, attention is through working as a chaplain and um, those of you who have also worked in this field um, know that much of it involves working with other religious traditions. Um, and often prayer is a very important tool in the toolbox and a very important way of engaging with people. So, and, you know, in my training and I've gotten to learn from my colleagues from other religious traditions um, about prayer and the role that that, how they view prayer. And um, one of the ways that uh, I came to understand it is, is a way of, of paying attention. And I noticed that if I know I'm going to say a prayer at the end of a conversation or that I might be offering a prayer at the end of a conversation, I listen a little bit differently. And uh, I think when I first started getting um, started as a chaplain, I was very nervous about the whole praying thing. Um, Didn't, you know, and I think this is common for a lot of people who don't come from traditions where, especially where um, kind of extemporaneous prayer is a part of their, their spiritual practice. And I had a, a mentor kind of give me like a form <laughs> of like how you compose a prayer. And what I remember from it, and I think what has come to um, what I've d- distilled from that is noticing what is painful and troubling and heartbreaking and also what is good and all of it at once. And I, uh, I have this uh, book by um, Brother David Steindl Rast, who's a, a Benedictine um, monk who's done a lot of interfaith work, um, especially with Zen, or I don't know if especially, but that's how I know his work. Um, spent some time at Tassajara. And this book is called 99 Blessings. And it's a, the, the table of contents um, it's, it's just basically blessings that he composed, prayers that he composed uh, about things he noticed in his life. So there's candlelight, medicine, hair, linen, lakes, the internet. Um, and I really, really like this, this book. So I have a few of these to share with you. Um, but I think this, this kind of attention has been really important for me to, to learn about and to experience. So I'll just, I'll start with one. Um, 
and uh, and also how he understands blessings in his in- introduction to this book. He talks about this idea of of these blessings being delight in what is received in what is around you, and also the resolution to pass it on and to share it with all other beings, which feels very resonant um, to our understanding of to my understanding of of bodhisattva practice. So this is one um, on kitchen noises. Source of all blessings. You bless us with kitchen noises, with the sound of chopping carrots, the rumbling from washing pots and pans, the clinking of silverware, the clang of glass on glass, the whistling of the tea kettle, and all the homey rattle and clatter produced by preparing food and washing dishes. May I drink deeply from the blessing of being at home that rings in these sounds and make all whom I meet today feel a bit more at home in the world. And I, I really, um, I really love that one. Uh, also because every th- I, without a Zendo to go to, um, I don't really have a special place to practice anymore. Um, and everyone is at home and doing their things at home. And so often when I practice, there's lots of noise around. Uh, it's summertime. My window is open. We live on the first floor. There are conversations I hear. And whether I view that as a um, source of irritation or distraction, or if I'm able to bring that just into the scope of my attention and my practice, um, really, really changes the quality of that time that I'm sitting. Um, of course, that's not always how it happens. And often I'm paying attention to the emotion of, you know, irritation, frustration, sleepiness. But that capacity to open up the attention that I'm paying with kindness and non-judgment. So as I kind of move out into the world off my cushion, um, when I was three ways I think of paying attention, one is to what is inside, the other is to what is outside, and another is interpersonally, you know, as with other people. Of course, a lot of these are happening happening simultaneously, layered over each other. But I'll talk about each one a little bit separately. I tag in, I think one of the the first instructions or um, pieces of advice you gave me in Zazen was was the mantra, how does it feel? Uh, Which has been so helpful for me, um, both in my practice on the cushion and off. So for me, being able to pay attention to what is going on in my mind stream, what is floating around, what, what seeds are there in my mind, and which ones do I want to water, and which ones do I want to let just let rest. I uh, had an experience um, 
a real anger has always been a, a difficult emotion for me. Um, one that I feel very uncomfortable feeling and like to substitute a lot of other emotions uh, for instead of uh, feeling that anger. Um, and I, it, something happened that I think that made me angry. I don't even remember what it was, but I was so um, oblivious to it that I then became extremely anxious for the whole entire day because I had not paid attention to that little signal, that little emotion kind of bubbling up. For some people that, that could have meant that that anger stewed and brewed into, into rage. Um, for me, it kind of got sublimated into something else. But when I slow down and I pay attention to what I'm feeling, I have more say in how I'm going to view the world and myself. And in a way, it's, it's kind of funny, but as soon as I kind of turn my attention to that anger, as soon as I realize that, that, that that's actually what was underneath all of that, kind of like waved and then laid back down. I just needed that, uh, that noticing, that attention. Um, and I think that this isn't a Dharma talk on anger, but I, I do think it's an important subject um, because it is a very, I think there can be some, uh, I think it's an important emotion that uh, is often a signal that something is wrong. But we do, ha- we have to listen to it and not let it, uh, be in the driver's seat necessarily. Um, so yeah, also the example of, of my mom reacting to that water glass. Um, maybe that wasn't her first response. Maybe she was annoyed. Um, I kind of don't, I don't think she was, but even if she was the kind of pause in between, uh, what she said and what her first reaction, um, really changed the entire situation. And this might be like pretty simple. I kind of think that this is what um, people are talking about maybe when they talk about mindfulness. But it's taken me so long to understand and to really integrate into my life. And I'm just kind of getting started with that. But the idea that what's happening in my mind, what's how I'm viewing the world, how I'm viewing my experience um, is itself conditional and actually a lot more flexible than it sometimes feels. And I also this paying attention to what is inside connects with what I was talking about earlier about making sure that our priorities and our values line up with our, our actions. And I've had a lot of conversations with, colleagues and peers um, about how this past year and a half has, has changed how they want to spend their time, how they want to move in the world. And as things seem to go back to normal, which, which they aren't really, um, I think it's really important to listen to those, listen to those things and keep those, um, those values and those, transformations um, at the forefront. And this also connects with uh, paying attention to what's outside. 
in our uh, queer Dharma group the other day, we were talking about uh, some of the COVID stress recedes for us personally, perhaps in the city of Chicago, though for many people that is not the case and elsewhere it is not the case. Um, other fears arise, the climate, um, just so much um, fear and anxiety around all that is happening to our planet. Um, I know for me, that's a big thing that I'm learning how to pay attention to and allow while also not becoming overwhelmed. Um, Staying awake and paying attention to how the COVID crisis continues around the world. While I'm vaccinated, many, many people are not. So many of the things that we must pay attention to can be painful. And that goes back to that earlier um, kind of formula for prayer that, I, that I've noticed um, is allowing, not ignoring that pain. And indeed for our Bodhisattva vows, that's very, very important is to continue paying attention And also, it is summer in Chicago, which is un- unlike anything I've ever experienced and something I have such a big love for. Um, I love Lake Michigan. And I have been trying to be outside every chance I get and just noticing how beautiful and how amazing it is to be a part of the earth and really allowing that to be a source of well-being for me as I look at nature and feel my body in nature. Uh, I have a particularly strong love for um, house sparrows, which are those little brown and buff and gray birds that are pretty ubiquitous in the city um, that I think I first noticed when I was living in, in Massachusetts and was really missing the natural world. And I looked down and it was a very gray day and there were these house finches fluffing themselves and bathing and chattering in the, in the puddle. Um, and I've since learned that they're very social creatures. They're often together. Um, and actually there's a, a blessing for them in this, in this book that I'd also like to read. Maybe. Well, maybe I will, I'll close with that and I'll look for it during our, for it in a break. Um, but yes, noticing, noticing the birds, um, which are here with us, who, which need care and need attention. So that is partly what is outside, but also, of course, what is inside as well. And then uh, the final thing is paying attention to others. Um, I, I work with uh, people who are grieving. It's my, um, it's my job. And I often uh, 
don't know what to do. Um, and at the beginning, that was a big source of, of distress. Um, but over time, I've realized that that is, that is part of the nature of, of grief, is that it is often, it doesn't need to be fixed, but it does need attention. And the gift of fully paying attention to someone um, has become so important to me in my work, um, but also in, in my personal life. And, you know, as I'm seeing people I haven't seen in a while, I'm just really feeling so enlivened by the experience of giving and receiving attention, of telling stories, of sharing experiences. And again, it feels sort of like simple to say that. Um, but so often I'm not paying my full attention to what I'm doing or what I'm, who I'm talking to. Um, I, I primarily work over the phone and, you know, I could be kind of walking around my house doing house cleaning and while also on the phone. Um, but it really doesn't work well when I do that uh, because all my attention, my heart isn't fully in that place with the other person joining them there. So I think there's um, a lot to say about this subject of attention. Um, you know, I think it is what has become really important to me, I think, in this phase of life uh, is, is viewing it as something that I, I can choose where to put and I can choose how, what quality I want it to be. And if uh, <laughs> scrolling through Instagram for a half an hour isn't making me feel more connected or at peace, um, then I don't, I don't have to do that. And I can move my attention elsewhere. So that's been very um, liberating for me. And uh, I have a final passage from um, a book uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh called Touching the Earth, um, Intimate Conversations with the Buddha. It's a, it's a selection of um, meditations, uh, reflections addressed to the Buddha kind of cultivating a more kind of personal, intimate, um, perhaps uh, more reminiscent of, of other kinds of uh, prayer from other traditions than perhaps the one that we um, practice here. Maybe not. Um, but this is a uh, section or the practice is on cultivating mindfulness. And I'll just read, read part of it, and then I'll find the little bird poem, and um, then we can, we can talk. Lord Buddha, according to your teachings, just returning to the present moment, 
does not necessarily mean that I'm able to dwell there with stability and freedom. I can be carried away by what is happening and lose myself. Mindfulness helps me to be aware when something is pulling me and taking away my stability and freedom. Sometimes I shun and sometimes I grasp at what is happening in the present moment. Both paths cause me to lose myself. And then just to close this uh, blessing from Brother David. Um, Source of all blessings, you bless us with sparrows. Everywhere in the world, the same gray and brown mottled, noisily chirping, every hungry, ever hungry feathered beggars on pavements and under the tables of sidewalk cafes fighting for crumbs. May I learn from these small relatives who welcome me in Paris, Chicago, Hong Kong, Moscow, and Tokyo to be at home wherever I am and to make others feel at home. Thanks everyone. And uh, I'd love to to hear hear you all now. So questions, comments, responses, Sarah, and uh, if if uh, we can't see you, you can put you can hit the raise hand button under in the participants window. Alex. Thank you, Sarah, for a a really lovely talk. Um, Not really a question, just wanted to say thank you for this. Uh, This talk really kind of um, loosened me up in an important way. I think I I sort of had one of those off days where I, I went to bed in a mood last night and I woke up in a mood this morning and it was just one of those days. And, you know, hearing your talk about attention sort of, got my mind moving there and and your story about, you know, being angry. And sometimes you just have to shine a light on that and it'll wave and say goodbye. And I think it was one of those days where I was trying to avoid that mood, but I I gave it its little wave and it seems to be moving the other direction. So I just wanted to say thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Those um, moods (laughs) are very powerful. Um, yeah, and can feel very um, rigid, and un- it's hard to see beyond them when they're when they're there. I resonate with that as well. Thank you. Ken. Yes, uh, since. Shortly after discovering spirituality, um, I have, at this point, 
for a long time been rather consciously um, choosing uh, to to pay my attention to that which inspires gratitude as opposed to regret. I have to say, though, it is becoming more difficult. Uh, I share your anxiety, and it, it just makes me anxious. Uh, it's hard for it's hard to pay my attention to nature without being aware of what my species is doing to the planet. Um, it's hard to uh, be grateful for the vaccine without being mindful of the insanity <laughs> of people, you know, that, that, that we have, we have people in this country who won't take the vaccine while there are people in other parts of the world who can't get it. And so it's just, um, it is becoming more difficult to, to practice that discipline um, in, in where I put my attention. I, I just find myself being a lot more anxious uh, nowadays, just as a general ongoing matter. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I, uh, me too. I, I definitely resonate. Um, yeah, and I guess if anyone else has a, a bomb for that or a, um, advice, I'd also be willing to hear. <laughs> um, I guess... I mean, I guess the the thing I, I try to remember, come back to is um, to try to allow all of it in terms of my, my emotional, within the anxiety, try to find if I'm feeling something else as well. Uh, sometimes I'll do this with um, uh, you know, pain. If a part of my body is feeling a lot of pain, I'll ask if there is somewhere else in my body that is not in pain or that is totally comfortable. And for me, sometimes, not always, this happens with my, my emotional state as well as in those real periods of anxiety. Um, if I can notice any other feeling in there as well at the same time. I don't know if that's helpful at all. Um, but yeah uh, my personal prescription is I don't think I'm sitting enough mm. so. yeah yeah I mean I, I definitely um, have struggled to I, I notice a very strong correlation between how often I'm sitting and how mentally flexible and um yeah, able to withstand all of those emotions, I feel. But it's also hard because sometimes when I'm sitting, it, uh, what is coming up is is anxiety. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess just returning to the cushion over and over. Tag in. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I don't have any fix for this, but uh, I think this now, these days, with all the things that, you know, you were expressing, Ken, that uh, rightfully give us anxiety, is when we most need attention. And one way to do that is to also pay attention to uh, what bothers us and the the all the irrita- irritations or anxieties, and so I want to ask you, Sarah. Part of, to me, what part of what is underneath that is grief and sadness and grieving. Uh, so part of what we need is to uh, be willing to grieve. But Sarah, maybe you have as a chaplain in term, who deals with grief all the time, turn that to, you know, like during Zazen or off the cushion either when we're feeling that anxiety, how, how do, how do we practice with the grief that's, that's behind that? That's such a good question. Um, And bring, and brings up something I've also been uh, reflecting on, um, as I kind of have noticed myself playing catch up with a lot of the emotions from early in the pandemic. Um, I think our, our brains and our bodies are very good at uh, making it through, but sometimes that means a lot gets buried and unprocessed. Um, So what I, you know, I, I think it is important to take time to grieve, take time to cry and to fall apart in a place where you don't have to apologize or, you know, button up and say, I'm, but I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, Cause you're right. I do think that anxiety can be a very common and, um, natural way to I think try to move out of the grief try to move us into action to move away from that feeling um but I think allowing that uh that sadness to come up um and I also I I'm a firm I'm a firm believer in in crying and how sometimes if I just start crying about something, um, my body will kind of recognize that, oh, it's time to let go now. It's time to release. Um, Mm. That uh, we're very wise. Our bodies are very wise and can sometimes get the, get the cue that, oh, we're, we can. uh, Yeah. So setting up, I guess, setting up time and space to feel safe enough to feel and um, that might be in Zazen. Uh, but sometimes for me, it's uh, scary to do during Zazen. And I need to do it um, on my couch with pillows and blankets and uh, nice music. Um, but 
and I, and in my work too, we talk about this a lot is that the grief, the only way out is, is through is to feel it. And the best we can do is, is support ourselves to feel it and take care of ourselves um, so that we can, we feel safe enough to feel it. Hmm. Thank you. Other responses? Just one thing I'll throw in there, just from uh, Abhidharma study, uh, the, stu- the early Buddhist study of um, the different aspects of reality, most of which there's 75 in one system, and almost most almost all of them, most of them have to do with mental states, uh, but one one of them is is attention, and it's it is said that we're always paying attention to something. It's the nature of our consciousness, subject, verb, object, or whatever. We're always attending to something. Mm. So what you were saying about mindfulness to uh, really pay attention to our, our, what is it we're attending to? What is it we're paying attention to? Without judgment, without saying, oh, you shouldn't be thinking about that or whatever, but just, you know, to notice what we're actually feeling. So, mm. uh, so it's, I think it's a really important practice issue. Wait. One of the things that I value about Zazen specifically in relation to this, you know, Ken, what you said resonated with me as well. I, I, I feel you there. Um, sometimes I'll be overwhelmed by this sense of anxiety and and specifically a sense of responsibility, right? I think that's part that gets tied in to the sense of anxiety is it's it's a heavy weight because you feel very responsible, right? Um, specific things in your life, the environment. Uh, something that's helped me is very intentionally thinking about Zazen as a break from that. Here's 30 minutes where I don't have to not only do I not have to, but I literally can't do anything except here, sit here. So I don't have to feel responsible during these 30 minutes. I only have one task, and that task is to pay attention to my concrete environment, right? Um, and I have found a tremendous amount of freedom in that. It feels like a weight's lifted off your shoulders a little bit. Uh, you just have to give yourself permission briefly not to have anxiety about something. And uh, it sounds stupidly simple and it doesn't always work, but sometimes it works. And then afterwards you feel better and you can pay attention to the climate in a way that feels less like it's going to crush me. Um, so I, I don't know that it was a revelation for me when it occurred to me that 
I could absolve myself of responsibility to worry about other things while I'm sitting zazen. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that, Wade. I think that's really important and uh, really helpful. I think we have time if there's one or two more comments. Anyone? Well, Sarah, thank you very much for a really uh, fine, I think, helpful talk. Uh, if there's nothing else, we can do the four bodhisattva vows, if you would, Alex. Go ahead and share my screen. Give me one second. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it.